Hello and welcome to MASH Mouth, a podcast covering every single episode of the hit 1970 sitcom, MASH. I'm Ethan. And I'm Vanessa. Vanessa, today's episode covers a bit of a more sensitive topic. Uh, just a fair warning for people listening to this episode. Hopefully we can like still have it be fun, entertaining kind of podcast. But we are going to talk more about like current events than we typically do. So that's just fair warning. And I bring that up to say that like this episode, we don't really have like an opening topic. It kind of felt weird to do. There's nothing in it that like relates to our everyday lives. So I think that we should just kind of get into this episode. And you know, it might be a little messy. That's okay. Because hopefully we'll still have like a good discussion at the end of it. Yeah, I think that uh, foregoing an opening topic would probably be for the best right now. (laughs) Yes. Okay. So in this episode, the kids, when the shelling gets too close to an orphanage, the 4077 takes in the kids. They warm everyone's heart except Frank, who is too busy worrying about his unearned Purple Heart medal. Vanessa... What did you think about this episode? So I really liked this episode. It was a little hard for me to watch emotionally just because um, of some things going on uh, in the world right now. But I I don't fault the episode for that, of course. Um, I think that we'll get into it. But of course, that was kind of like the writer's intention to make it uncomfortable for you to watch, which I really appreciated. And in general, I thought that this episode was really cute very fun uh in parts it was frank was terrible in this episode like probably worse than we've ever seen him and we say that a lot but truly i think this like takes the cake here um so that was that actually added to my enjoyment of the episode but overall i really really enjoyed it yes this is a very well-rounded episode in my opinion it has pretty much everything that i like about mash in it i like that this episode is a little more difficult to talk about that it does touch on uh, subject matter that we're like dealing with today. Um, I feel like a lot of like 70s sitcoms you don't get that like material from like you know the, the Happy Days was not heavily involved in like current day geopolitical politics when you <laughs> rewatch it you know. Yeah. Um, so I, I like this episode a lot it was like cute and fun and I like the cast interacting with these kids. I thought everyone played off of them very well. And I liked that there is this like darker undercurrent for us to discuss. It gives it more weight and gives like the show rewatching it today like more meaning to it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So on that note, why don't we get into more of the plot of the episode? Yes, let's do that. So The episode starts after apparently 17 hours of surgery. And when I was watching this the first time, I that was crazy to me because I literally had been sitting in bed all day, just kind of lounging around. And I was like, so tired. So 17 hours of standing on my feet. I I, I couldn't do it. I, that was just insane to me right off the bat. I was like, oh, yes. this is going to be a good one. <laughs> yes. Uh, doctors have to do a lot, especially within a <laughs> war zone. <laughs> doctors have to do a lot. Put that on the shirt. <laughs> yes, we should. <laughs> Very professional found ethan doctors do a lot (laughs) (laughs) hey i try my best i have wisdom to spare (laughs) so i thought that the character interactions in this initial scene were really good hawkeye was making colonel potter just crack up i thought that margaret and frank playing off of each other was very cute like margaret 
was saying how Frank promised to do her toenails. And I just I thought that that was adorable. Um, (laughs) And then also we got the introduction kind of like the soft introduction of Nurse Kelly. Um, She plays a bigger part in the later episodes of the series Uh, but i love her yeah she she's great i love her and i think this is the first time she was named as nurse kelly so that was just a little something that i noted that's pretty cool i can't wait to have another like more significant female character other than margaret you know balance out that cast a little bit more um but yeah i like this introduction as well I loved that uh, Colonel Potter was, like, actively laughing at Hawkeye's jokes. I feel like you don't <laughs> see that a lot. Like, yeah. that's one thing that I, I genuinely appreciate in, like, sitcoms when other characters laugh at characters being funny. I feel like a lot of shows are afraid to do that because it kind of draws attention to, like, jokes existing. But mm-hmm. I don't know. It really worked here and was very endearing to, like, Colonel Potter. Again, we're kind of, like slowly warming up to him if this was like real time uh if he was like a brand new character who we're not used to i really appreciate it and um yeah i thought uh frank and margaret having this little discussion about painting her toenails is also kind of cute because it's like oh they're doing like actual couple things (laughs) and i know that we've probably said this before at least i probably have said this before but it's such a smart move to get your surgeon boyfriend to paint your nails because <laughs> he is used to working with very small, uh, on very small surfaces with very small instruments and being very precise. So I think that she is really utilizing her Frank contact here. <laughs> but the thing is, Frank is not a good surgeon. So like, is he really but going to do a good job? Yeah, but he's serviceable. So like, honestly, he's uh, better sure, than sure. nothing. He's probably better than I can do. So <laughs> I'll take your word for it. <laughs> <laughs> so in this scene as well, um, this is when we get the introduction of really what sets the plot off, too, um, because Radar comes in and he says that Nurse Craddy called and said that there is shelling near the orphanage. And she asked if they could evacuate the orphanage to the 4077. Mm-hmm. So I love that they brought Nurse Craddy back, because if you remember, she was the nurse who Henry was put on trial for helping. Oh, Um, okay. I did not remember that specific detail. That's pretty fun. Yeah, she was played by a different actress in that episode, but I liked the continuity there that uh, she was the same. She was kind of in the same position of just helping uh, Korean mothers and orphans and stuff like that. So I thought that that was pretty cool. That is cool, actually. I I do like the continuity, even if it is a different actress. I, I did not catch that. I'm glad that you have multiple watches under your belt to kind of recognize <laughs> these things when I don't. Honestly, uh, Craddy is a pretty unique name. So I was like, oh, I know I've heard that before. Uh-huh. <laughs> so right after this, when Colonel Potter kind of gives his okay to have the orphans start coming to the 4077, I really liked uh, the next scene where everybody's kind of trying to get ready for them to come. I liked how Margaret really jumped in and started directing because she just is exhibiting that she's a natural born leader. And I think that this I'll I'll talk about this a little bit more too in general of Alan Alda's directing, but I think that you can really see when Alan Alda directs an episode because yeah. I know we've said this in the past as well. 
his direction of Margaret's character is very unique to these, uh, like up to this point. Um, so I just, I always note that. I think that it is very apparent. Even uh, beyond the characterization of different people, you can always tell when it's directed by Alan Alda because the like cinematography is usually mm-hmm. a little more flashy. And I know that uh, there's other directors in the series we praise their their cinematography for. But I feel like Alan Alda has like very character focused kind of like he zooms into people's faces in a way mm-hmm. that like other directors on the show don't. Um, BJ has like a moment early on in this episode where he's kind of learning about how difficult these these war orphans have it. And it like zooms in on his face without mm-hmm. him saying anything. And that was like an Alan Alda special, you know, that was like, ooh, yeah. This is this is cinematic directing right there. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And there are certain scenes in this episode that I think are representative of Alan Alda's specific directing style, too, because um, I don't know if you've noticed, but in a lot of scenes where they want to kind of drive home the point, there is a slight pause, like a one second pause mm-hmm. um, to make the audience kind of sit with what was said or what is happening. And I think that that is very unique to Alan Alda's directing. And I always notice it. <laughs> yes, we should definitely do a bonus episode at some point on the films of Alan Alda. We can like pick one mm. and like watch that. I think that'd be a lot of fun. Um, And then, like I mentioned at the top, to Frank is just on his worst behavior in this episode. <laughs> we say it every week almost, but this is maybe the worst Frank has ever been. Um, I was very reminded of a quote from Larry Linville, I think in the uh, anniversary special that we covered, that the reason why Frank left the show at some point is because he just became too like obnoxious for his own good. Like There was nowhere to go with the character. And this episode, you could really feel that because his plot line is he is racist towards a bunch of war orphans, which is already extreme. (laughs) And second of all, he is actively stealing valor by claiming (laughs) a purple heart that he does not rightfully deserve. It Mm -hmm. is the most extreme he's ever been. And... Just wow, this is this is a wild time for him, honestly. <laughs> yeah, I think that I'm calling it right now that anytime we say this is the worst Frank has ever been, we're gonna reference back to this episode because yes. truly this this is pretty bad. And honestly, we always say this too. I give Larry Linville so much credit for having to successfully perform this terrible character mm-hmm. and doing it so believably. It must have been like really upsetting to have to do because I'm sure Larry Linville did not feel this way, of course. But he did he did a bang up job, of course, like he always does. But I think that this is kind of where we get our first little piece of commentary, uh, at least the first that I noticed, because Frank is carrying himself with this arrogance that he typically has, you know, (laughs) Mm -hmm. and he's calling these native Korean kids foreigners and acting like a war hero and he has this undeserved purple heart and it's so irritating <laughs> because he has this purple heart again undeserved um 
and is wearing it so proudly saying, yo, I have this purple heart and whatnot. And then he is actively disparaging the people who he supposedly is there to be fighting for and who he got, mm-hmm. quote unquote, wounded for. Um, it was just really gross. You know, <laughs> it was just so <laughs> mean spirited. But of course, like that was the point. Yeah. Usually Frank is like, I don't want to say mildly xenophobic because he's outright xenophobic most of the time. But when it's towards literal orphan children, you're like, (laughs) calm down, buddy. These guys have done literally nothing in their lives to deserve any vitriol from you. And his whole thing throughout this episode is that he thinks that they're stealing everything from him when they're just like existing. And it's so funny and so like, again, I commend Larry Linville to like be able to pull (laughs) off this material. But there's a part later on in the episode where he, like, actively accosts a small child because he believes that this small child stole his purple heart. And I'm like, wow, this is this is a rough moment for this character. Like, very few people could say, like, yeah, that, that was warranted behavior on his part. And even <laughs> his, like, self-aggrandizing. I feel like he's had a false purple heart before. He I feel has. Like that- Okay, cool. (laughs) Like in Sometimes You Hear the Bullet, he had this really undeserved purple heart again from uh, twisting his back in the mud outside of Margaret's tent or something like that. And the purple heart was given to (laughs) Ron Howard, actually, Um, Ron (laughs) Howard's character. Yeah. So this is, again, his second time having this purple heart that he didn't earn. (laughs) It's just so bad. Right, I remember that one because he's like bent out of shape like a Tetris block or something. Mm-hmm, I remember commenting mm-hmm. on it about being a Tetris block. That's really funny. But I feel like it's way worse than this one because he, he has it the whole episode and he's like paranoid that children who are orphans and have no money and like no family to go to have stolen it. And you're like, wow, <laughs> the rubber band on Frank's character stretched really far. I don't know how much further this guy can go. <laughs> yeah. Yes, definitely. I, I agree with you there. There's really, there's really <laughs> nowhere worse for him to go, I feel. <laughs> He's gone from being a heel to like the worst man alive, like <laughs> sincerely. So I wanted to note uh, to quick things about Alan Alda's directing. Like I said before, he uh, has this pause, this one second little pause in certain scenes that he wants to clearly make pointed. So in this scene where BJ, Hawkeye, and Frank are yelling at each other about Frank's undeserved purple heart, Hawkeye says, Frank, you don't get medals for other people's blood. And then Mm -hmm. just one second, there's a pause and it makes the audience kind of like sit with that. And I really enjoyed that. And then in the next scene, too, um, hang on, I have so many, like, look, I, I just want you to see yes. the <laughs> amount of notes. For listeners at home, Vanessa basically has written a novel in terms of her notes this week. <laughs> I have. Um, okay. In the next scene where the kids arrive, there are those kind of pauses as well. Those, those non-speaking one second shots on all these kids' faces, and it just felt very, very pointed. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of great, like, commentary lines that, like the 
you don't get uh, medals for other people's blood line. That's kind of like snuck into the episode like throughout. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like there's a lot of these poignant, uh, very, very, you know, commentary lines. But they're like so well mixed in with like other one liners. Like I feel like the you don't get medals for other people's bloodline is like right after he like makes a joke about like nobody's lost an eye boiling an egg like i it's a good balance between the like comedy like mash one-liners and having more to say you know what i mean yeah absolutely and i think that the lack of a laugh track after that line too it, it could have played almost funny Um, But then without the laugh track and with that one second pause of them kind of just like looking at each other, it felt more, I guess, deep um, when it could have definitely been played for more of a more of like a chuckle. And I don't know, I, I really I really liked that line. And like you said, a lot of these lines are in there with funny one liners to make you kind of laugh and then think, which I really appreciated the writing of this episode. Yeah, I think it does a good job of like disarming the the more weighty stuff to it, still giving this episode a lot of comedy. This is still a funny episode. It's not as much of like a dramedy as like the sometimes you hear the bullet, but it's like woven really well, the comedy and the more like poignant nature of it. Yeah, I definitely agree. And I said this before, but um, one of the most powerful scenes for me personally was uh, all the quick shots of the orphans and their faces and being lifted out of the truck and whatnot. Um, And it was really powerful because it made the audience sit with what those kids are there for and what has happened to them because of the Korean War and to evoke the emotions of, oh, this, this is happening. This has happened to real people. And I think that What just really got me with this episode, like I said, with the current uh, conflict that's going on in the Middle East, it's so relevant right now, especially Mm -hmm. with kids. And it just reminded me how relevant this show still is, right? Like this was made to comment about the Vietnam War with the Korean War 20 years after the Korean War had ended. And now it's a 50 year old show. And it just kind of is reminding me that the exact same thing is kind of still happening and that's so relevant and so so sad and it reminds me why the show is still relevant honestly and why we still have things to talk about of course we now get a more immediate look at the horrors of war because we have the internet but the idea that this was supposed to remind people that this kind of stuff is actually happening um and these are the these are the people who are falling victim to it it, it it was a pretty powerful scene for me. Yes, um, it is really difficult. Like I I understand why you've had such a difficult time with this episode, being able to like put your thoughts into words. Um, but speaking specifically on like the relevancy, that's kind of what I was trying to say earlier. Um, that like we were doing a Happy Days podcast, like there would not be anything to really talk about in the current mm-hmm. day it just be purely about like how the jokes hold up and one thing that i i've really grown to appreciate over our like two years of doing the show is that like mash tried to to comment on the the everyday in like a period piece so like that helped it like stand up and stay relevant that like it's not a 70s sitcom 
it's a a show about a 50s war that is still like relevant to today because unfortunately just all this stuff continues to happen and it's it is one of my it's one of the things i like about doing this podcast that we get to kind of comment on stuff like this that you get to have this kind of more complicated view of the show based on what's happening in the real world at the time we record it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, one of the things that really got me too about this scene and the topics in this episode with the kids and whatnot was that I was feeling the exact emotions that the writers intended for Mm -hmm. us to feel. And even though it's about a completely different conflict in a completely different era, this was still the intended response that the writers and Alan Alda as the director wanted the audience to feel. So even though, like I said, we have this more immediacy immediacy of knowing uh, things that go on and can we can more see the atrocities that happen firsthand, it's still it was still that reminder to me that, oh, there are real kids who are involved in these in these wars and these conflicts and they are struggling and they are suffering so it was a very powerful moment it sounds so silly to say because this is a this is a sitcom you know but it it really it really reminded me um or it really it really impacted me because that was that was the intention of the writers i imagine that like some other people listening to this especially a few years out from like what's happening right now might think like, oh, we're overreacting. Um, and maybe to a degree we are, you know, like this is this is a sitcom. Uh, but again, I just really like how the show is able to connect with your current emotions and kind of like have a kind of conversation with you as more and more things happen um, that things haven't really changed. I think it's very interesting. Yeah, I definitely agree. And I think that this episode... Like you said, it, it had a lot that I just really that really made it a good episode for me, commentary aside, um, because the interactions with the characters were so good. We said that mm-hmm. in the beginning, too, with the with the first scene. But I loved that Colonel Potter and Nurse Creddy kind of almost already knew each other. And I was wondering just for myself, I was wondering that maybe they had crossed paths one other Ooh. time, like potentially um, in maybe a different war because they're both older. So I don't yeah. know. Just, just was like a cute little thing because BJ didn't know her, but Colonel Potter did. So I was like, huh, I wonder when when they met before. Right, right. I, I didn't even catch that. I did notice Hawkeye clarifying to Nurse Craddy that like BJ is new and that Trapper has gone home. But you're right that uh, Colonel Potter and her had like an instant kind of rapport with each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is that's really interesting. That's that's my headcanon that, you know, <laughs> they're both career army people. So they mm-hmm. probably have known each other for some time before uh, the events of this episode. I like that a lot. Thank you for bringing that uh, here once again, kind of being the, the continuity master <laughs> of the show. <laughs> yeah, of course. Of course. So, um. Right after this, too, we get more of the cast kind of interacting with the kids, which I think was mm-hmm. the really sweet part of the episode and and really saved it for me emotionally. Like, that's why I wasn't like a complete emotional mess in this episode. <laughs> but um, I loved that the cast was just like their warmest selves besides yes. Frank, of course. 
um, with the kids, like seeing Margaret with the kids, seeing Hawkeye and BJ. It was just it was just so sweet. I absolutely loved it. Yes. The whole cast interaction with these children was the absolute highlight of the episode for me. I love how it's all different. I like how everyone had a, a different uh, dynamic, um, even with Frank kind of not liking any of them. I thought it was funny that the one kid was kind of like scamming him for money. Um, that was like a good use of Frank's kind of inherent little prejudice going on. Mm-hmm. But I also really liked that that there were kids who assumed that like Klinger was a woman. It was really <laughs> funny, like a good use of his character. And my absolute favorite scene in this episode was when... BJ was reading or just telling a story, mm-hmm. a bedtime story to these kids. What did you think about this? I thought this was fantastic. It was so cute. I I absolutely loved this. And I think that I like to see BJ kind of like strut his stuff as a dad. You know, mm-hmm. we got that scene that you had discussed um, with the camera kind of zooming in on BJ's face when he heard about the little boy who had lost his leg. And you kind of got that this was affecting him in a different way as a dad. And yeah. then in the next scene with this scene where uh, Hawkeye and BJ are telling the kids a bedtime story, um, the way that he's animated and so happy to tell yeah. the kids the story was just so sweet. And then also the the same, the same almost the same scene with uh, Colonel Potter reading to the kids and just just <laughs> them being like grandpa and dad energy. Oh, it was it was so cute. It was great. I really loved uh, Mike Farrell's performance here. I thought he did such a good job. I feel like it's a mark of a very good actor when uh, you're able to perform with children well, because a lot of time when you're uh, playing off of children, especially in this manner of like telling them a bedtime story, it can come across like uh, demeaning to them, like that they're being spoken down to. But this, he really got on the kids' level, and it felt very genuine, very authentic, and I really, really liked it. Like, this was just such a highlight for me. Like, you were saying how expressive his face was, how animated he was, and I loved the the ending kind of joke of the scene that Hawkeye was like, well, you're not going to finish the story? And they had, like, a little <laughs> bit of an argument with that. I thought that was great. That felt like such a BJ Hawkeye bit, not a mm-hmm. trapper bit. You know what I mean? That felt like a, a something specific to this dynamic. And I, I, I loved it. And with uh, Colonel Potter, I thought it was very funny that as soon as the kids fell asleep, he started smoking a cigar. I was like, wow, <laughs> that is, that's, that's very 1950s of you, sir. <laughs> yeah, I just, all the interactions with the kids were were really sweet. and. I agree with you that Mike Farrell's performance here was just really good, really believable. He really is a good actor mm-hmm. because when even when he was mad at Frank with the Purple Heart uh, before the kids arrived, I really felt like he was angry. Like, of course, yeah. Hawkeye was angry, too, but it felt like Mike Farrell himself was pissed off, if that makes yeah. sense. You know what I mean? I don't know. Like, it, it just it worked so well. No, definitely. Because um, we've had, you know, Frank kind of scamming things in the past a little bit. And usually when like Hawkeye or or Trapper would be like mad at Frank, they'd be like indignant and like Mm -hmm. kind of think that the whole situation is stupid. And 
I don't know. Something about the way BJ was acting was so, like, genuinely mad the way, like, a real mm-hmm. person would be mad. It was, like, kind of unexpected. Normally, yeah. they just play it off of, like, okay, come on, Frank, you're being, like, absurd. But he was like, no, you, you cannot do this. This is not, like, what a good person does. Yeah. I really appreciated Mike Farrell's acting in this episode specifically. Um, One other scene that I wanted to talk about was this scene with this little girl who was playing um playing the piano mm-hmm. in the officer's club. And Klinger had to come in and kind of like shuffle her off to bed. And I, it was so sweet because obviously she's this really talented piano player. And I thought this was really excellent writing to to include this part because you see this girl who's very talented on piano, but she might not be able to really foster that talent in the war zone that she's currently in. And I just thought that that was that was a really good thing to include after all of the like the cutesy scenes and stuff like that. Um, Having it come back always to these scenes of, hey, listen, like the kids are the real like one of the real victims in this whole situation. Like, don't forget about the kids. I, I really enjoyed that. Yes, I really liked this uh, running gag with her and the piano, both from like a comedy point of it keeps returning to her on the piano, even after she's sent to bed and like different characters kind of interact with her on the piano. Like Frank calls her like, stop being a child. And meanwhile, <laughs> she's doing this like virtuosic piano performance. And you're right, it definitely is more of a a commentary of, like, she has talent that, like, would not be fostered in this environment. So, like, that is kind of sad. I didn't even, like, think about that because I was more enjoying the, like, comedy of, uh, (laughs) ha-ha, look at this girl, like, get out of bed, play a piano. A lot of layers here. I like the layers of this episode. Yeah, and speaking of the layers, too, I know know this is really, like, commentary focused, but I feel like there was a lot here, a lot here to unpack. Um, I mean, we'll get into it, but this episode has a pretty dramatic uh, turn with, like, a childbirth and everything. It's definitely not meant to be, like, a light affair with, like, dark things in the background. You're supposed to think about them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that's what I liked about the episode, of course, that the commentary was there, but it was also really subtle because there was a scene. I first of all have to say I loved Radar in this episode. I thought that he mm-hmm. really did a Gary Berghoff, of course, did a really good job, but I loved his characterization here too, of just really caring about the kids as well. Uh, mm-hmm. Even though he is a kid himself, I don't know. It it, it really it really did it for me. But yeah. the commentary aspect of Radar picking up this little girl who was sleeping while orderlies were putting down this wounded person, and then right after uh, Radar was singing to this little girl, and that actually that also made me quite emotional because it was a very it was a very good scene. That scene was was emotionally very yeah. intense, even beyond like the current state of things and how that's like affected our viewing. I was just like, oh, man, if I saw this any time, I'd be like, oh, no, that's so sad. He doesn't know he's saying to an orphan girl in a war zone. I think mm-hmm. that I think that transcends uh, <laughs> current politics. You're just like, yep, that's that's a sad situation. That is objectively sad. Um, but I really liked the, what I was going to say was I really liked the commentary about this as well, because it was subtly saying who really gets hurt in the war, you know what I mean? Um, with Mm -hmm. the person who was actually 
physically wounded and then also this little girl who was just kind of a victim of the situation and then also radar singing to her of course radar is posed as a character as this young kid who's naive and you know just inexperienced and this and the other thing singing to another young person who is also like kind of again the victim of circumstance while so many other people are also in this war the victim of circumstance beyond the real like geopolitical conflict of it so I don't know. It it really did it for me. And then also, of course, Alan Alda's directing here, too, was that one little like lingering shot on radar yeah. after he was finished singing. And I really thought it was very powerful. Yes. Uh, Alan Alda's like visual directing continues with like the slow zoom ins, which I, I really appreciate. Um, And even the song that Radar was singing, I uh, was talking about like the father going to war. Mm-hmm. And it was like, you know, a little like on the nose, I guess. But like, yeah, that's that's probably what we're all feeling, you know, uh, saying to a, a little orphan girl about how she's like lost her father in the war is like insane. And I yeah. am really surprised that they, they did that in like a half hour sitcom that aired at like, what, 830? <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, this was a heavy episode for for, you know, just a family <laughs> viewing of a sitcom. But I also want to talk about more of the end of the episode where BJ performs a miracle C-section on a pregnant woman. Um, I feel like that kind of injected more of happier energy because it turned out really well. Um, What did you think about this whole scene? So I know what you're saying with happier energy that this does turn out well. But this section stressed me out like nothing else in the show ever (laughs) has. Yeah. Because the context of it is that the entire episode, Nurse Craddy is talking about uh, that there's a pregnant mother that's like supposed to be joining them on the camp and they're supposed to be like taking care of her. And she's not there. And she stumbles into camp wounded, like from a gunshot. And they like have to take care of her and her uh, unborn baby and like try to, you know, rescue them both. And the entire time, I was like, okay, MASH is a show known for pushing boundaries. Like, they, they went to places that, like, no other sitcom did at the time. And I was like, is this mother and child going to die? Oh and gosh. I legitimately <laughs> thought that was a possibility. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, that, that could happen. We could go full dark mode here. And thankfully, they didn't. I mean, it would have been, I think, very powerful if they did. But just for my own like sitcom levity enjoyment, they didn't. It did turn out to be a happy ending where both of those individuals are fine. But I was so worried the entire time that like something was going to go wrong. They're going to lose the baby. They're going to lose the mother or both. Mm -hmm. And I think that if this had been a different, well, obviously, if it had been a different episode, but I could definitely see the writers kind of pushing that boundary of what they Mm -hmm. were trying to say with this episode as well and then having that very tragic ending i'm so glad that it didn't happen and i think that this ending also worked really well with what they were trying to say too for the show um in terms of these doctors are here saving lives and they're saving lives that you're not necessarily expecting either and i i really liked that i thought that in terms of when i say this was more of a comedic thing 
I knew how this episode was going to turn out. So I was like, oh, okay, this is going to be fine. <laughs> I always forget that you don't know how the episode no, will turn I out. Do not. So, <laughs> um, I loved how they kind of all collectively agreed that BJ was going to be the one to take care of this woman and perform the C-section and make sure that she got patched up because he was like the first one out of residency or he was the last one out of residency, I should yeah. say. And so he just like did his OBGYN unit sooner than yeah. like before everybody else. So it's <laughs> fine. He had training. He was a student only a little while ago. Right. Exactly. I thought that that was really funny. But you're right. This ending does fit a lot more like this is an optimistic show. This is a show about kind of the, the triumph of the human spirit to a degree. Like even uh, Hawkeye and everybody like acting so goofy in a war zone is supposed to say something about how, yes, it's difficult times, but you're allowed to have fun during it. So it's like the child and mother died that would have said something completely different. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Um, definitely. much prefer the optimistic outlook that this episode has rather than being a purely pessimistic one. Yeah, absolutely. And I loved how it ended, too, with them stealing Frank's Purple Heart and repurposing it for a better purpose, which, again, is the second time in the show this has happened. Uh, Because they give the the Purple Heart, Frank's stolen Purple Heart, to the baby because it's (laughs) actually injured on the battlefield. Because this was crazy, but I assume it's medically accurate that when the mother was shot, the child had its like butt grazed by the bullet um, and like they could see that wound on the infant. And I was like, that's truly insane. And they make a joke out of it. Like Hawkeye has uh, probably my favorite line in the episode where he says, uh, well, you know, no one wants to get shot on their birthday. Mm-hmm. Um, very great way to like undercut the like horrific nature of of giving childbirth to a wounded baby but like i i really enjoyed that aspect of it that they give this this purple heart to this baby a definitely better deserving person for the purple heart i would have to say yeah because he was actually injured he didn't just cook an egg wrong (laughs) i thought it was really sweet too that colonel potter spoke korean to the mother uh right of course, don't know what they said, but I thought that that little interaction was really sweet. And the fact that Margaret was kind of just knowingly smiling at Hawkeye, like, hey, I bet I know where you got that from, you know, because yeah. she she knew that Frank didn't deserve that Purple Heart. She, she was well aware. I think that was the first time with Colonel Potter that we've seen anyone in the main cast actually speak Korean. Like, I could be wrong there. Margaret, in the episode Kim, Margaret spoke to the little boy in Korean and just, like, happened to know, don't move and stop and wait. Right, right, (laughs) right. But with the other thing you've brought up with Margaret kind of knowing that Frank didn't deserve that Purple Heart, I, I really like that, that it does kind of humanize Margaret versus Frank's kind of absolute dissension into being Mm -hmm. a truly horrible person that she without any like protest is just like yeah i mean give the purple heart to the baby she's more (laughs) of like an actual like empathetic human being where frank is more of like a silly cartoon character at this point Mm -hmm. yeah i think that margaret was great in this episode as well because not once was she really like over the top or angry that we Mm -hmm. have previously seen and i of course that that's a feature of the writing as well but i think that alan alda did 
a good job of directing her in that yeah. way too. And of course, also speaking of the Purple Heart as well, again, um, Frank was looking at the pinning of the Purple Heart onto the baby, and he also didn't put up that much of a fight. Like he knew he didn't deserve that Purple Heart. So I thought that that, <laughs> like, not to say that it made up for anything that Frank said in this episode, because he was really, really nasty to a bunch of <laughs> orphaned kids. <laughs> and he nearly but, accosted a child when he thought he stole the purple heart. Yeah. I feel like that was real bad. Yeah, he really, he really almost hit a kid when he thought he stole it. So not that that makes up for anything that Frank did, but I did have to give it to Frank that he said, well, I would really want a Purple Heart one day and just kind of mm-hmm. left it at that. Like, he knew he yeah. didn't deserve it. <laughs> I mean, they're giving it to a baby. I think even Frank has its limits of, like, you can't steal from an infant's injured child. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't put it past him, but yeah, I guess I guess so. <laughs> I would hope so, at least. I would hope that's where his limit is drawn, you know? <laughs> yes, And that's basically the end of the episode. There was this really sweet scene of uh, saying goodbye to the kids. um, And everybody was kind of hugging and kissing the kids. And Radar, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, swapped out his teddy bear for one of the kids' toys. And I don't know. I thought it was really funny. Yeah, it was just, it was a really good way to round out the episode that was hard, again, hard for me to watch and was saying a lot of heavy things. And I just thought that it was really sweet that we got this last final scene of everybody just being cute with the kids and Nurse Craddy and stuff like that. And uh, because I was so stressed out during this episode, I wanted to make sure, you know, kind of know ahead of time if the mother would make it. So Mm -hmm. I did look this episode up while I was watching it because I knew that if like the mother didn't make it, there would be like a trivia comment on the IMDb page for it. Mm-hmm. So I went on the uh, IMDb trivia section, and I have a little bit of trivia for you. It's very, very quick. Ooh. But apparently Frank is the only character uh, from the 4077 not to be happily waving goodbye to the children uh, when everyone leaves. And, like, that makes sense. And I like that someone took the time to list that onto the IMDb <laughs> trivia page. <laughs> I noticed that um, and I put it down in my notes. I said, interesting that Frank is absent from saying goodbye to all of the children because you're right. He was not there. (laughs) (laughs) So, Vanessa, do you have any favorite lines from this episode? I'm trying to think. Do I usually ask you that? No, I usually ask you I think you you usually ask me that, but I think we can mix it up (laughs) a little bit. Sure, we can do that. Um, I do. There were some pretty good ones in this episode, I thought. So, one... (laughs) Was when Frank wanted to show Margaret the Purple Heart (laughs) and he pulled her over and he said, Margaret, I have something to show you. And Margaret goes, Frank, not here. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's pretty good. Uh, Frank Margaret joke right there. (laughs) Comedy gold. It was just so funny. I uh, I think I said most of my lines during the course of the episode, but I have one that I did not mention where it's Klinger talking to a small child trying to feed them uh, like stew. And he says, come on, kid, you got to eat up. This was cooked before you were born, um, <laughs> which I, I just love how bad the food is in the camp. I love how they always are like, this is terrible food. <laughs> uh, my other one that I had to note was when Klinger was trying to convince the one kid that thought he was a woman 
uh, that he wasn't a woman. And he pulled down his shirt and said, look, no McGuffies. <laughs> I have yes. never heard breasts referred to as McGuffies before. And I think that that's so funny. That was uh, that was my other one that I wanted to bring up. And I'm glad you did, uh, because that was pretty delightful. <laughs> uh, what, what a vernacular that man has. <laughs> So, Vanessa, moving right along, uh, do you have any trivia for this episode? I do. There is trivia in other episodes that we've covered about orphaned children um, from the Korean and Vietnam Wars, though. So I'm not going to go into much trivia about that. But I do have a little bit of light fun trivia about Anne Doran, who played Nurse Meg Craddy. All right. All right. So Doran was born in 1911 in Texas and grew up in California. She was an early member of the Screen Actors Guild and served on the board for the Motion Picture and Television Fund for 30 years. Cool. Go Screen Actors Guild. Doran was considered a character actress and appeared in dozens of movies. Her most famous role was James Dean's character's mother in Rebel Without a Cause in 1955. That's actually crazy. I love that. <laughs> um, that's, that's some deep Hollywood uh, right there. That's cool. Yeah. Doran had been in so many films. Like, a there was there have been reports that she's been in over 500 films. Mm -hmm. She reportedly began acting at four years old. And her first credited role is for the 1934 film called One Exciting Adventure. I love that old movies are just like, yeah, what do we call it? An exciting adventure. <laughs> there we go. Beautiful title print. I feel like she might have been one of the first child actresses, too. But, you know, Ooh. could be wrong there. Doran also had extensive work as a guest star in TV shows across the decades, including Father Knows Best, Perry Mason, Barnaby Jones, Little House on the Prairie, Knott's Landing, and, of course, Trapper John, M.D. They really did get everyone. <laughs> we say it every week, but I'm always surprised that this show that doesn't exist got, like, every major character from MASH to appear on it. One day, we will find it in syndication, and we will watch it. Absolutely. <laughs> And Doran passed away at the age of 89 in the year 2000. All right. That's a good run. Yeah. So, Ethan, I think that this might be a little hard for me, but what was your martini rating for this episode? See, this is such a challenge for me. I, I really like this episode. I think it does what it wants to do very well. But at the same time, I'm like, is this like a masterpiece five out of five episode? So I think I'm going to go like one step lower and give it like a 4.5. I think this is a, a great episode of MASH specifically. Like this is a MASH episode through and through. Um, what, what do you think about it? I was having a little bit of trouble rating this episode because of the emotions that I felt during this episode. So even though my emotions were high, I still liked the episode and it was a little bit hard to think of it objectively. But I would agree with you. I would go probably... Uh, Probably a four, four to five, honestly. I don't know. It, it. I don't think it was a perfect episode for me, but I, for the emotions that I felt, like that really pushed it to be a 4.5 or a five. Um, yeah. But objectively, I feel like it wasn't the, necessarily the strongest episode, but it was still a really solid episode. So maybe objectively a four. So that that's kind of on the scale. That's where I'd give it. <laughs> That's that's definitely what I'm feeling as well. Like, I'm not blown away by this episode, but like, also, I think me and you had a very strong response to it. So it's like, what do, what do we do here? Yeah. Why, yeah, why can't exactly. we determine how drunk we are on this episode? 
<laughs> I think that if anything, we had a really good night out with this episode. <laughs> I I would hope so. Yes. <laughs> so just to wrap up, we'd like to give thanks to Jacob Friabalco for being our technical consultant, Vanessa's sister, Melissa, for awesome cover art, and of course, our listeners. Links to our music, social media, and contact with the show are in the description, as always. And join us next week for Season 4, Episode 10, Quo Vetus, Captain Chandler. But until then, scrub up nice and soapy. Goodbye, farewell, and amen. Bye, everyone. Bye.